If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Beverly Smiris. Beverly has started her PR agency with the Canadian wine industry as her client, has a long career in specialty magazine publishing, and is now a published author, blogger on her site, thesavvylist.com, and host of the People Pursuing Passions podcast. Love that title. Whether your listener is a young college student or an empty nester, her message to them is it's never too late to depart from living life on the track and make the wiser choice to live life off the rails. Woohoo! Welcome, Beverly. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Where do you live now? So I'm in Dallas. Okay. And uh, I years ago, I... Uh, Many years ago, I um, uh, met a Canadian boy, and we were both traveling in in uh, Mexico, and we had a long distance relationship. So when we were first married, we moved to Canada. I had experience working in Dallas at um, um, PR agencies, and then he, he had always been very entrepreneurial mindset. And so he's like, you don't need to be working for other people. You could, you could do this yourself. And and so together we, uh, you know, we formed our own PR agency and we had a, a great time working with the Canadian wine industry and still are in touch with some of those original people that we worked with way back when on that. Oh, that's great. How did you guys meet in uh, Mexico? Uh, we were just both on vacation and it was both of us decided to go last minute. He was supposed to go at a different time and actually um, first and only time in his whole life that he ever missed his plane uh, the first time he was supposed to go. And so we really felt like it was meant to be in the, in retrospect, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Were you guys just on the beach or at a resort? We were actually, I had just gotten there and um, uh, I went with a girlfriend and I went really last minute and we were just out at night walking around and, there was music playing and we, we were trying to get in the party mood. And I mean, you know, I made this guy. So <laughs> that's, great. you know, what's really interesting is, is everyone, um, you know, all of our friends and siblings and, you know, said, well, that's really nice. And, but those things never work out. You live in two different countries and, you know, you're very different from each other. And, and we just decided, you know, not to listen to that. And we're actually the, the only ones of all of our siblings anyway, and a lot of our friends that are still together after 30 years. So, you know, that's amazing. So you've been yeah. with your partner 30 years. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. Well, Not sometimes really. if you're not like the other person, you can compliment each other. There's like the yin to the yang. So there is a definitely learning you can do too. And we really are a lot alike, even though we grew up in different countries and, and different cultures. He, he um, 
My husband is uh, for his parents were uh, Greek immigrants, so he was first generation Canadian, and he speaks, reads, and writes uh, Greek fluently. And we've been we've traveled to Greece together. We just got back a few weeks ago, and it's great to be able to go w- with somebody that you know can speak the language and and it opens doors that, into doing things that you wouldn't discover as an ordinary tourist. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Where did you go in Greece? Um, we spent a. Um, we spent the first week on the mainland. His, his mother came with us um, and um, she uh, grew up in Sparta. So we took her back to her village there near Sparta. And then we discovered a couple of fantastic new spas um, it, right there near Sparta. And that's some of the most beautiful. It's kind of like Tuscany there. Like it's it's where they grow all the olives and the oranges. And, and it's just beautiful, like rolling hills and you've got the ocean breeze though you're not too far from the ocean even when you're in the center of the mainland um uh it's, you're surrounded by ocean and so it's just a beautiful really beautiful climate mm, that sounds so healing that's amazing what is yeah i love it give me some of that greek spa energy oh, we, <laughs> the spas we, are amazing. this brand new spa that was just the architecture of it and the um, it was just absolutely stunning. It was called Euphoria, uh, right uh, near kind of between Kalamata and Sparta there. Um, I'm going to be writing a story about it. I need to get on that and get that done. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the, if you're listening and you are interested in learning about that spa, I'm going to be I'll be posting soon about it on the savvy list. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, how does a Greek spa differentiate from like Japanese, Korean, or American? What makes it special? Well, they, they were telling us when we went to Euphoria that that they they very much into, you know, they, they had very much blended the ancient uh, medicine from kind of the Chinese. Okay. Uh, the philosophy, Western uh, medicine, and then the old, you know, in... Greece is a is a, a place where people um, you probably heard the stories of people that have been like diagnosed with cancer or something and they go to they go home to Greece to die and they they start breathing and eating, you know, healthy original food, you know, food the mm-hmm. way that hasn't been altered. Right. And they, rebounding and, and surviving and living long, healthy lives. And so I haven't heard that before. I, I yeah, haven't heard that about Greece, like people going to die. Yeah. And that's incredible. I love that. Yeah. My mother-in-law still like picks like wild dandelions off the hills there and boils them into what they call horta. And I, I just love the stuff. I, I, I just have always liked the green stuff. And so some people don't like it, but I, but I love it. You know, it's kind of bitter and they put lemon on it and, you know, it's just, and it's so healthy. Oh yeah. No, dandelions are so good. I mean, I eat them and you can, yeah, make tea out of the roots and mm-hmm. yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, I hadn't heard that about cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer myself. I could have just gone to Greece <laughs> well, and had olives. Oh my God. I would have loved that. I, yeah. But I didn't hear any of those stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I had heard that a long time ago about the, the, the guy and they did a study like, you know, he lived into his 90s and he thought he was going home to die, you know, <laughs> just to be in where, you know, he had grown up. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it's probably not the 
thing that you could always do, but you know, yeah. So, well, I have heard about the Mediterranean diet mm-hmm. being the best diet. So, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, they they eat. I, I try to eat a low carb diet. I lost weight on the low carb, and and um, and in Greece, it's like impossible because everything they do has, involves bread and pastry. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's hard to avoid. But I do think it's a different way that they make the grain and, and, the, and mm-hmm. you know, the the fact that they don't put chemicals in their food and some of the things that they do here, they, when they eat sugar, they eat sugar. They don't eat like corn syrup and stuff that we have in our food here, you know, so. That makes sense. All natural. Like they, yeah. It's not like they are just so uh, good in their food choices. It's just that their food choices are better choices to begin with. So I see. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, wonderful. You're bringing back memories. Oh, <laughs> I've been to Greece too. So it's a beautiful place. Um, we did some wine tasting in Greece too. And I was very impressed, you know, uh, it, it, it's been maybe 10 years since we've been to Greece. And um, I was very impressed with how far the, the Greek wine industry has come. And I love the fact that they have some different grapes there that we, uh, we don't have and that we don't grow in the United States or that they don't grow in Italy or France either, you know, so they have some unique grapes. So I was very impressed with the quality of the wine there. That's great. With the wine, do, do they export it a lot? I haven't heard of a lot of Greek wines. Maybe they keep it for themselves. More small production, I think. Small uh, production. Yeah. A lot of exporting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, what is Zen success to you? Well, I think, um, you know, when, when I mentioned how um, I met my husband in Mexico and, and to me, that's relationships are an example of, you know, so many people fail at relationships because they feel like, you know, they, um, they, they get out of school and they start their career and they feel like, oh, well, I got to choose this time. And I got to choose from among, you know, the people in my immediate sphere around me right now. Uh, that are they're available so they make a safe choice or or they make the choice that their mom and dad you know somebody yeah, they're repeating them. patterns right yeah. yeah and so you know I just feel like if you in, in a you know in our relationship it wasn't like it just happened um uh because it was convenient and we actually had to work at it we had to really want us try to have a relationship to sustain a long distance relationship for two years between Dallas and Toronto until we finally decided we, we just, it was time we we were sure and we were ready to be together. Um, But we had to, you know, we had to work at that to make that commitment to always try to see each other and keep that relationship going. So, uh, so I think relationships should be like that. And and if you don't immediately feel that such an extreme attraction to each other that you, you can't stay away from each other. It's not going to get better. You know, it's not going to increase it, you know, so it should be there in the first place. And then, and then the task is to work at it at sustaining that uh, level. So, um, and then the same holds true with careers, you know, I think first of all, a lot of people, you know, people that, that I've, I've interviewed a lot of people in my, in my career as a journalist and, and, and people that are really successful, you know, there's people that have money that aren't really successful, but people that are really successful tend to have success in all areas of their life. And that's with intention. But there are people that don't let other people decide for them what their path is. There are people that, you know, like 
really follow their natural calling and um, um, and really want to do what they what's comfortable for them. So, um, like I remember as a child, like I had a I, I had a thing for writing, and and I wrote little plays, and I would assemble like all of the kids in the neighborhood, and I'd make I'd assign them parts, and I'd tell them what. Oh, to that's say. amazing! <laughs> and they put a little play on, and and we'd get the parents together in the garage, and you know, somebody's garage, and put a little play on, you know, for them, and everybody just thought that was really cute. But you know, I, I really wish that I had had someone at that young age, encouraging me, like you have writing talent, you could write movies, you could direct, you're a director, you know, like, but that was just not in the wheelhouse. It was. People didn't think about that. Encouraging. um, Yeah. My my parents' generation, you know, my parents were from the golden generation where you, you know, people worked hard, you know, maybe their, their parents didn't have the opportunity to go to college. And so that their dream was to send their kids to college because they knew that meant some nice, nicely packaged little corporate job waiting for them when they got out and then you know but our you know their kids saw those corporate jobs were you know they were being asked to leave you know they were they were not treated right they were you know they worked so many years and had you know very little success to show for it other than paying the bills maybe you know and so uh, and and then the millennial generation takes it even further. Even it, my kids have never been around parents that worked in a corporate job, but um, but they saw us work hard to have a lot taken away from us at one point. And so they were like, "Well, why would you put you know all of uh, you know do all of that you know only to let somebody else control your success?" Because you do whether it's whether it's you're running your own agency and you get you get in with one client that holds all the keys and then they, they decide, Oh, well, we've had enough of you. The, the, um, the owner's son is going to come over and take over the business and he's going to do all this marketing that we don't need you guys anymore. You know, things like that. That's happened to us a couple of times. And, and uh, so, you know, so I think that the millennial generation is almost going back to, you know what, we're people, we, we, we're people, we have personalities, we have innate talent and our work doesn't define who we are. And if we can, we should use our, our our innate talent, whatever our calling is, to create a career out of. But also we maintain control of that career, not letting anyone else tell us what we can and can't do as far as work is concerned either. You know, so, so many people fall under pleasing somebody else or letting somebody else tell them when to be there and when they can go home and when, you know, when they're tired of them working there and they want them to, to leave, you know, like, so I think we have to resist being that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us in society were trained that way because of school. I mean, school trains you to, you know, do what you're told and follow this schedule. Um, Yeah. So getting a job seems like the right thing to do. And yeah. and, And I love what you're saying about the different generations and what their needs are, because I think there's a shift with employers now where they're having to try to recruit people and be attractive to them. And and not every job is a sure thing. I always thought computer programming was, oh yeah, that is the future, you know, da, da. and then now we have AI and and that taking some of the jobs of writing and um, programming. And it's just, it's really interesting. And I think even some 
entrepreneurs are hiring like there's this firm that hires people from the Philippines because mm-hmm. they say that they're more loyal and da, 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 all these things. And so that's, that's an, an interesting twist as well. Well, it's true. Like um, I've been uh, building some, you know, redoing like my contact list and, and things like uh-huh. that. And, and, you know, services like Fiverr and Upwork and things like that. Like, like I've learned recently, you know, my time, I shouldn't be the one sitting behind cross-referencing the mailing list and cleaning up the list. So I can hire somebody overseas through those sites and, and, you know, they'll, they'll have it back to me like the next day, but it would, I would have taken an entire day to, to do it. And I'm paying them 50 or 60 bucks to do it. You know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's silly not to do that now. And and it's good for them because our money is worth more in their country so they're happy to have the work. You don't want to ask people to do work for you and, and try to rip them off, you know, but we're not ripping them off. If that's good money, you know, that's more than they would make in a day in their country, you know? Um, yeah. So, so it's yeah, been that's great. a good experience working with some of these. And, and I understand, I have not really bitten the bullet, but I understand that you can hire these people to do all kinds of things like design and website design and, you know, magazine layouts and things like that. Um, and, and you're just working with them remotely. So, um, and I don't think that they're taking away American jobs because a lot of things that they do, especially that admin stuff, it's people that people here don't want to do, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. They want to be more creative and be valued for their ideas. Right. right. What does it mean to lead a savvy life? So a savvy life is a balanced life where you're, you aren't defined by your work. You have a, a, you know, you have, you put equal attention to working on, you know, building your relationships and and your friendships and your, um, um, you know, your family relationships. That's just as important as all the time you spend with your work because without that balance, it doesn't matter how successful you are in a business. If you don't have that balance, is it worth it? You know? And then, um, you know, also living a savvy life is not making the safe choices to the on what I call the on track choices, that maybe the the choices that please other people. You know, a lot of us grew up, you know, with very, uh, you know, parents that really wanted something. They wanted to try to mold us into something, but but we didn't fit that mold, you know. And so, um, you know, you can't let anyone else. So so I would say that that to people, you know themselves, but also like, like I have kids too. And I have to remember like what, what I might feel like I should mold them into isn't what they want to be molded into. You know, like everybody has a right to choose their own path and, and you can't assume that you're, you know, everything that's right for somebody else, even if they're your kid, you know? So yeah. How old are your kids? They're grown now. Uh, they're late twenties. So. Oh, and, and what are they up to? Uh, so they, um, uh, one is a, a mortgage lender and we actually introduced him to a builder that we, um, that we met and were very impressed with what they were doing because they were breaking the mold and the way they were doing business. And uh-huh. he started as a college intern with them and he's now their number one closer far and away. And, and, um, <gasps> he speaks, he speaks like fluent Spanish, which okay. he uses in that, he's extremely valuable in that business because of his his language skill. Um, and he just kind of had a knack for Spanish and we encouraged it. And, 
And I'm really glad that he has that talent because it's really helped him. And then our younger son is working in designing houses and he's working with my husband and they're buying lots and developing them. And, and, you know, we, we live in a, in a great area here in Dallas where there's just a ton of active real estate activity. So trying oh. to really uh, make hay while the sun shines there. So. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can feel like your whole parenting style is about letting go and let people, let your kids be individuals, you know, and, and whatever yeah. they want to be. And you know, what's really interesting is our younger son, uh, who's involved in the, the home designs, um, um, he, um, is very creative and he's very, he thinks differently than, than our generation, but guess what? It's his generation that's buying the houses. They're the ones that all the builders are trying to figure out, like, why don't they like what I do? You know, it's because they have a totally different idea of how they want to live. And so they're looking for different things. So we really feel like he has an extreme eye for detail and he has an extreme uh, love of of how things go together, like quality. Mm -hmm. And so we really feel like he brings a lot to the table that other builders can learn from. So part of, we still have a home building industry magazine that we published for builders in Texas. And, and so part of, part of what we do on the savvy list is share our own journey of, you know, here's what, here's what the younger people in the market are saying they want, you know, this is, and this is what we're doing differently in the neighborhood because we think that's, that answers better to what they're going to want long-term. Um, you know, so we try to share our own experience of whatever we're doing, you know, creative, creative wise. We share that on the savvy list with our, with our other audiences. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, it's, I'm curious, what, what is it that the next generation wants for their living situation? Is it more collaborative? Um, like how, how, um, are you, are the builders designing it for them? The older, the older uh, millennials are the ones in their now in, approaching like their mid to late thirties uh-huh. and becoming more traditional than they once were, you know, they're having, oh. having children, although, um, although later and they, and they come into the housing market with a lot more money, maybe because their parents, maybe because it's Dallas. I don't know. Everybody seems to have money around here except for mm-hmm. us, <laughs> but, uh, um, um, but their parents have been successful. And so, so we live in a neighborhood where 30 year olds are buying their first house for 2 million. You okay. know, it, that blows my mind, but, but they've got it and they waited to, you know, to start their families and, and kind of establish their careers. Um, and, and now they're, you know, now they're buying. Um, and I don't think they just want, they want privacy. They want flex space that where they can, most of them are going to work from home a few days a week. Yeah. Um, so um, they, you know, they want quality too. And they want, yeah. um, you know, um, healthy air and things like that, you know, clean. Oh, that makes sense. You know, they green, you know, they, they want it to be a healthy place to live. And that, that involves everything from natural light to indoor air quality and, and outdoor living space and, and all of that, they're very in tune with. And, and, you know, they, before they ever shop for a house, they have done extensive research on online. So sometimes some of the builders kind of cringe at that because all these things that you see online in these, in these reality shows that show people like remodeling their houses and stuff, 
it gives people a very unrealistic uh, expectation of cost and time and things like that. So, so that can be a problem, but, um, but most, you know, but it's good to have a good idea of what you want, you know, be decisive. I think most of the millennials are pretty, pretty decisive about what they want, you know? Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's interesting. Of course, that's just one market in Dallas, you know, but it's still interesting to think yeah. about that. And, I think that. and it's true. Like, of, of um, pretty much, you know, I read all the national real estate news and kind of decipher it down into what's important to Texas home builders. But, but I, um, but I see that across the board too in other markets besides besides Dallas as well. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. In an important market, and 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 as far as what they want, their their you know their counterparts are across the country are a lot like them. So. Oh, okay. Good to know. Great. A lot of people and- too that are that are like, uh, we travel a lot. We we're building a second home in Tulum, Mexico, which is now that's a, that's a great Zen place. That's a wonderful Zen place. You need to know. A, a lot of retreats there. I've heard. Yeah. <clears throat> but we see a lot of kids in that, in that age range that, you know, they're, they're renting their house back home and, and they're digital nomads for, you know, for a time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see a lot of that going on. And I think, People want that kind of flexibility, which is one of the reasons why millennials, you know, a lot of a lot of millennials rent for a while um, before they have their families and stuff, because they want to be able to, hey, I'm tired of being in Dallas this winter. I'm going to go live in Mexico for a few months. So I'll just rent my place here. So that that also makes it different, like the way they nest in their homes. They don't want to personalize them so much that they that they uh, can't rent them to somebody else when they want to, you know, take off and go somewhere else. That's interesting. So it's a, a little more neutral. Mm-hmm. I wonder if all, if everyone's doing that because of Airbnb, you know, uh, just people thinking that way to keep their homes more neutral and, you know, they have home swap, they have all sorts of, yeah, organizations that where you can travel and rent out your house. I do think, you know, I do think that that's something that the millennial generation will leave that lasting mark and just having that idea that you don't have to live in the same house 12 months yeah. a year, you know, you can, you can move around and without, you know, without being a, just a, a home, not having a home base, but you can still have a lot of flexibility and, and uh, why not? But that's something certainly that, you know, a couple of generations ago, no one, that, that concept would have been like completely foreign. So. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's so true. And what about, so that sounds nice, your husband and your, what made you decide on Tulum, Mexico? It It's just like, it was one of those places, we've always loved Mexico because we met in Mexico. So we've always traveled a lot. Yeah. And we've been to Tulum um, years before it was developed. And just the fact that it, that it's newly developing and that they're taking great care to preserve, you, you know, if you go to Cancun, it, it's, you might as well be in Miami. They've got a great beach, but it's all condo, you know, high rises and things like that. So I don't know when I go to a place, I like to feel like I'm somewhere else besides the homeland. So, um, I, um, we love that you can't build above the tree lines that they protect the beach and stuff there. So it's very much a jungle. And also the fact that it's been, it's, it's there, they've got the Mayan train project and the Tulum airport, but the fact that it's been a little bit more difficult to get to means that most of the tourists there are, are from Mexico or South America or Europe. Mm. Um, 
and so that's kind of that kind of gives it a cool vibe as well um so it, it's amazing like um it, it's because of its beauty and because of its real zen atmosphere and and the architecture and stuff there it's attracted like you said a lot of re yoga retreat people um a, lo a lot of things like that and and then you walk down that beautiful Tulum beach, always one of the top rated beaches in the world on any day. And the hotel pool parties that are happening, we're, we're a little bit uh, too old for some of those things, but the young people are, it's like Las Vegas there, you know, oh, really? It, like it's crazy. Like the level of like the, the, the money that people are spending and the cost of everything is like, a you know, those Las Vegas pool parties that people drop. It's like that there. You know? So so we just walk around and look at it and think, oh, it's interesting. But there, really in Tulum, there's something for everyone. If you like quiet and peaceful yoga retreats, there's that. And then on the other end of the beach are all the crazy young people with their, their beach parties and, and daytime pool parties where they, where they have bottle service and stuff. You know? So anyway. Yeah, sounds amazing. It, it kind of reminds me of Costa Rica a little bit when yeah, you said the jungle. Haven't they haven't been there. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. So how do your husband and you play and work together? Well, we, um, we've been involved uh, all along with the promotion of the business. We've always been in business together. So uh, Steve's really the promoter and I'm the one that does the detail work to, I'm really the writer, you know? Um, so well, one of the, like, for example, one of the things that we're working on right now is, um, he has a real estate license and, and we've actually sold units in Tulum from our developer pays real estate commission to American realtors. Oh. So we've actually sold a just in promoting it and talking about how much we love it. Like yeah. very, not really marketing it, just talking about it. Um, we've referred a few friends that have bought there. And um, so um, we have an idea of, since I, I published two historical fiction books and, and I'm hooked to that genre. I really love historical fiction. And there's so much cool history in Tulum. And there's such a cool vibe there that we're actually working on a script that we want to be a, a, a like a television series for Net Netflix. Uh-huh. But we have all kinds of ideas on, on, you know, maybe we take that to our developer has the coolest properties down there in Playa and Tulum. And maybe we take that to him and, and, and we film, um, you know, we film some of the stuff there. And then, of course, you've got the beautiful native cenotes where you can film the mystical stuff that will happen in this in the screenplay. You know, like so we're tying in the old ancient history of the Mayans with the modern day things that are going on with Tulum. But we think that's a great way to market Tulum, too. And yeah. in, in way, even the way they dress there and like things that the actresses and actors could wear in the um in the series could, you know, bring people there and, and we could promote the local artisans that make the jewelry and the clothes and stuff down there as well. So that's kind of our long range goal. Oh, that's amazing. I, I love that. Well, I'd love to hear about your first book. Okay. So, yeah. So um, a couple of, if a few years back, um, my, uh, a good friend of mine, um, we became friends. We kind of bonded while our children were both still in high school. And, and we had always heard of each other because she ran an ad agency there. <clears throat> and I was <clears throat> always involved in media. And so we knew of each other and we had admiration for each other before we met. I'd always heard her name. 
And, um, and then we met and we just clicked, you know, cause we, both of us were very creative and, uh, you know, we're at the prom senior prom planning committee and, and people, me and her were, had all these crazy, real creative ideas. And I think the other people were just like, I think you guys have this. Why don't you just be in charge of the prom? So that's how we started our friendship. And then we stayed in touch and we just really enjoyed working with each other on that. And then, um, so she had this, uh, she had in the meantime, been a caregiver to her father and then her grandfather before that some years before I knew her, she had cared for her grandfather and both of them she cared for in their dying days. And they both of them talked about this amazing woman named Anna in a town of Marshalltown, Iowa, where both of them grew up. And this woman um, was um, powerful, strong. She was the first black woman that most people in, the, in that uh, town had ever like spent time with. And, and they didn't really know how to take her as a person. And she just, she just got in there and refused to be, you know, treated any differently and, and earned the respect of the, the community and became part of that community. You know, she was a Southern lady from Iowa. I mean, she was a Southern lady from Atlanta and, um, and she brought all of that culture of Southern cooking and planning every meal and cutting fresh flowers and putting on the table to a, a, a town of very uh, modest, basic, you know, hardworking kind of hardcore type of people that live there. Um, but she was brought to the town um, on an assignment to take care of the doctor's child. And the doctor was, the doctor's child was born with extreme um, physical disabilities. And um, so, and, and again, she, she, at that time, this was in the 1930s that she moved to this town. And at that time, people, a lot of those children that had these problems like that were just shut away, just tragically, you know, they were just sent away. And mm. so people see uh, children in, you know, that had challenges like that either in that time. And so she, again, taught the people in that town, this boy might not be able to talk to you, but he has feelings. He has dignity. He's a person that deserves respect. You can't talk about him like he's not there. And so she just taught people like the most valuable life lessons and was the type of person that could like size people up in a couple of minutes and tell them like, you know, you know, no, you're wrong about this or, or whatever it was, but she was, but she could, she could be, um, she wasn't confrontational about it. People loved her and they respected what she had to say. So anyway, so she ended up having a lifelong influence over these two men that, you know, and so, so my friend Catherine team started writing down all of these stories that they told us about this remarkable lady, Anna. And then she, so she out of this collection of stories that were, you know, they weren't really connected. And so I thought the stories were fantastic. It, you know, it was almost a rhyme me of the story of Forrest Gump, you know, just the things yeah. that, that the encounters and things that they would do. Um, but, but so I, I gave it a storyline and I said, well, what if we did this and that? And then we tied this story to that story. And, and so we're creating a dated, a dated storyline. And then we also wanted it to have historical accuracy. So everything they ate and drank had to be something that was available in Iowa at that time, you know, so to give it really authenticity. And so she said, wow, this is so necessary in order for this to be a book. 
and I, and, and you've done so much and she loved all of my ideas. It was originally her book. So I was, you know, I'm supposed to be the editor. So I wanted to say softly, like, what about this? And what about that? And she's like, no, I like all your suggestions. So I'm just going to call you my co-author from now on. So we, Oh, we that's amazing. From Atlanta. And then we, we collaborated again and we wrote Anna of Iowa and that, that picks up in World War II. And so that's a sequel. That's the yeah, second book. Okay. And we were um, able to really, there were lots of really interesting things happening in the homeland in World War II that they don't necessarily write about in the history books. So mm. um, it, we were able to tie our fictional characters and our real characters into real life circumstances. And then we embellish some of those circumstances, of course, too, which is the fun part of historical fiction. But the fact of the matter with historical fiction is fiction doesn't get any stranger than the truth. The truth, the true stories are so, you're like, I can't believe that really happened. And so we were able to dig some of those up and incorporate them into the book, which I just love that. I love that genre. So it's kind of what we're doing now in the Tulum, uh, the Tulum story, which we haven't really titled yet, but. Oh, oh, wow. That's amazing. So that will be the third book. Third book, yeah. Yeah. And oh. The first two book I wrote, books I wrote as a co-author with Catherine Teen, my friend. Mm-hmm. And then Steve and I, my husband, Steve, um, we were collaborating on the Tulum story. So um, he's doing a lot of research on it for me and stuff. So. Oh, that's great. Well, tell me about your path to success. So what brought you from PR to publishing a magazine and being a writer? Well, I, um, when I got to like, I I tried, you know, I was influenced by my parents and even though I did all of the creative stuff growing up, my father decided that I should be a CPA. (laughs) That does not. And what was he doing as a job? I thought I should be a CPA, but so I started in the business school, but then I took like, but what was he doing? Like, why did he think of CPA? He, he were, you know, he was pretty uh, entrepreneurial himself. Oh. He worked out of home office from the 1960s, which nobody worked in a home office. Then <laughs> he had a typewriter and he finally bought a fax machine back in the day. And, you know, oh, and wow. Computer, but, you know, uh, he ran his business out of our house in West Texas. You know? Oh, wow. See, it was in your blood. He was trying yeah. to push you into like safety. He was to push me into more corporate world, even though he didn't fit in himself. But yeah. Okay. Uh, but when I took my first journalism course, I, I I knew that was where I belonged. And so I sailed through, through my, um, my journalism degree. I got my journalism degree from uh, SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And and I sailed through it. I completed all of my courses my junior year that were required for my major. And I had 24 hours of free electives left in the art school because SMU puts, they still put their journalism school in the arts department, which almost every other school in the country puts journalism in the business school. So mm. I tried to do art school. And then, uh, but I, but I thought at that time I wanted to be a copywriter and work for ad agencies and then I, so I got into working in agencies and then I worked in a PR agency. Then I met the Canadian, we moved to Canada, we landed a big job with the Canadian wine industry. And then the magazine publishing started out as we, we considered the opportunity uh, as a client thing, like as one sideline thing. You try to be diversified when you have a, an agency, you know, um, 
And then it, that grew into a full-time, we helped this company create magazines all across the U.S. and Canada. Um, and so until they sold, <laughs> and that was the story of, you know, like, oh, the uh, new corporate guys are going to come in here. And and they they thought they knew everything. The main thing was we we made all of our money off residual income from the all the different magazines that we had built over years. And they were jealous of that because we made more money than their executives made. So they just tore it down. They tore it all apart and they ended up just losing every, the company that they they built. But we all lost in the process. So we had to start all over. But if we hadn't had to start all over, um, you know, I wouldn't have had the book publishing opportunity and some of the other opportunities that have come my way and 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 taught me what I know today. And that's just like, don't let any, you know, don't get too hooked up. E- even in that case, we were working independently, but we were so hooked up with this one company that they controlled our destiny. So try not to do that again. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's interesting. And and I love how you just said it was for the best because it led you to this passion of writing that right. you maybe wouldn't have discovered. That's amazing. Well, what publications do you come out with? I know you said the building one, right? Well, the building one is is an industry publication for builders. So it's not, it wouldn't be widely known unless you were in that industry. Mm-hmm which makes it a good, a good uh, niche types of magazines are the ones that have survived like that. Um, but this, er, now all the content that we create, including, you know, we post up our podcast and everything on the savvy list. So, um, and, and there you're going to find, you know, just people, people pursuing passions, you know, people with interesting careers, you know, people, writers, you know, people, we're auto journalists as well. So we, we talk a lot about that industry on that, on, on that, the savvy list. And then, and then the, the front part of it's kind of like the best of the best, you know, the, the, the way people live the best of the best, you know, with the best of the best in luxury products and things like that. So oh. I did two magazines for that industry, like really high end neighborhoods in Dallas and so I built that audience over about 10 years, but I, I willingly left that position last year because it was getting to be one of those two corporative things. And I could, I could see the writing on the wall on, on that. So I, I decided to bite the bullet and leave that because I didn't want to get caught up in that again. And I really oh, was wanted- that not your own business that was working for well, someone else. We we're like franchisees started. Out oh, as yeah. And then they made us into franchisees and but they can, they still can control, can put a lot of control over you, even though we worked independently in a home office to do it, but they, but still you have all these expectations that we're just getting more and more and more. So it was feeling a little bit suffocating to us. So, um, and again, you know, we don't want to, we were wiser, I think this time and not, not waiting to let somebody else, you know, take it away from you or, or, um, uh, or make it just make it so unpleasant that you don't want to stay there. So leave leave on a high note and try to retain your audience and do something else. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's what we've done with the savvy list. So oh, that's that's awesome. And so the savvy list is that like a luxury brand list? Um, it, well, it's it's a little bit of it's a it's kind of the umbrella for everything that we do, and it's really just about living life to your fullest, pursuing passion, whether you're involved in home building, whether you work in automotive design or you um, uh, are a writer or filmmaker, um, or if you're a person, you know, here in Dallas, there's a lot of people that consider their career, like giving their time hundred percent to, to philanthropy, you know, like 
that's a big part of what we promote on that site too. So it's whatever drives you, it's, you know, there's a lot of resources and ideas and success stories that we tell on there. So. Oh, that's inspiring. And we also talk about like our characters in, in, in the books and the, and the new film, the Tulum book and kind of what they represent and, and how, how we develop this character and, and uh, what they're, um, you know, what it means. So. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. So would you consider yourself an influencer and how can our audience be influencers as well? Well, I, I think, you know, I think influencer is kind of a, it's almost become a negative, uh, uh, Oh, like a social media. Yeah. Well, no, I don't consider myself a huge, like social media junkie. Like I don't have a huge following, but I have a loyal following. And that's what I really want to build upon is following. Because that's true influence. It's not about the numbers. It's really about the trust. Yeah. Like one time, um, you know, one time I interviewed someone that was connected with Mark Cuban here. He's, a, you know, lives in Dallas and his publicist was there. And, and she said, you know, you really need to do something with what, with the, with your contacts that you have, because I can, I can ask for anything in the high end, in the luxury uh, uh, market. And you know exactly who to tell me to talk to. And that's, that's something that not everybody has. So she, you know, she gave us, she wasn't looking for business. She has enough to do working for Mark Cuban and all of his associated companies. But she said, I just wanted to tell you that. And she took us to coffee and gave us some ideas and stuff. And so it was kind of with that in mind that, that we first started, you know, the savvy list. So, oh, that's exciting. Just confirmation that it's valuable. Yeah. That's amazing. So now you've been doing this podcast. When did you launch your podcast? It's called People Pursuing Passions, right? Yeah, just so we taped, we we did a few test runs on it like last year. And then we decided really what we wanted to focus on and what we wanted to call it and everything. And then so um, we started taping at the beginning of the summer and we taped uh, a couple of episodes a week, every week in the summer until wow. we had we had like a, a whole year's worth now. So now we're just rolling them out. So all the work we did this summer is just rolling out. And, and, and I have a production studio that, um, that we work with and, and I'm kind of just letting them be the pros on, they've done a lot of study about podcasting and how to package it and promote it and things like that. So, you know, I'm, I just find the interesting people to interview and, and, they tell me I do a good job with hosting them, but they also help me to make, you know, to, um, you know, make me look good and, and edit me so that I, everything sounds good. Um, but, um, but I do have a lot of interesting people to bring to the table to, to talk. So that, but then, so they're rolling them out and packaging them and, and rolling them out on a schedule, like one, one a month. So even though we've got a whole year, it's kind of like a TV series, even though you've got a whole year in the can, uh-huh. we're rolling out. we've only got, we've only got uh, two episodes up and the next one, they go out the first week of every month. So we've only got two, ep- the first two episodes are up right now on well, Apple. And- congratulations on launching that. Sorry to interrupt you. What were you saying? Uh, I'm just saying, so they're just rolling them out. And we, we interviewed all, all different types of people, you know, from across, you know, certainly uh, people that we know from the home building industry about, about some of the stuff we've talked about, what people are looking for, how they got into that and, and, 
And then, you know, I interviewed a couple of people from, I find the automotive industry very interesting because, you know, we, we have a, a one of the girls that we talked to is, is getting a, a master's degree in motorsports marketing in Italy. Like, and she started race car driving when she was 14 because her dad has a passion for racing cars and, and he's a home builder that we've known for 25 years. So, um, so anyway, it's funny how some of those things all work together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is funny. That's interesting. That'll be a really interesting one when she comes up, you know, when her turn comes up to roll out her podcast. And, and I just think she's a perfect example of, you know, somebody that, you know, I didn't even know they had a school for motorsports marketing and she got an undergraduate degree in North, uh, South Carolina, I think. And, um, I didn't know they had that there, you know? And so I just think it's, she's a great example of somebody that had a passion and she's making her life, building her life around this passion. And she's getting to go to, you know, she's 22 years old, I think, and she's getting to live in Italy, you know, and pursue her passions. I just think that's, she's going to, and she's going to have an amazing career because in that world, like women are make up only 10% of the workforce in motorsports. So I think that's going to open a lot of doors for her, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. And, um, and such a niche, I yes. mean, for, to be marketing for motorsports. It's amazing. Well, um, anything else to add any inspiration for our audience? I just think, you know, uh, sometimes when, when you ask people if they want to live their life on track or off the rails, you know, a lot of people would say, Oh, I want to be on track. I don't want to be crazy, you know, like, but on track, you know, it is the safe choice, always making the safe choices and pleasing other people. Whereas off the rails, it's taking risk. And, and I, I just think even though, even though when you go off the rails, you're, you're taking risk and you're probably going to have some failures in that, but it's better to do what you want in life and to get to use your, you know, I want to find a way to use my writing talent to, to go to my next space, you know? So, um, and, and you're, and it's never too late to start that. So, you know, I, I pity people that, get in a car and drive to work every day and they're on somebody else's schedule and they have to ask for time off. And, and then they sit in an hour of traffic to get home. You know, like I just, there's so many people that live their lives that way. And I, I just feel like it's just too bad. They, they couldn't have made different choices, you know? So I want to encourage people to make different choices. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and learning about your entrepreneurial ventures, a savvy list, your incredible historical fiction books and publications. I'll put your website and how to buy your books in the show notes. So thanks for being on my show today, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing too. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.